Time now for Connecting the Diocese. Connecting the Diocese is a production of the Diocese of La Crosse. Here's host Jack Silsha. Well, thank you so much for tuning in, Connecting the Diocese. Before we get into the business of the day, I do want to send a shout out to Texas broadcaster, commercial broadcaster, Mary McCoy. The Guinness Book of World Records has now given her the award for the longest continual radio disc jockey work. She has been broadcasting as a disc jockey, spinning records for more than 71 years. She's now 85 years old. In a recent interview, she said that from her earliest age, uh, she always felt that she wanted to be in some kind of entertainment. When she was still preschool, uh, family members would come to visit, and then she would come into the living room carrying her little wooden chair. She would place the wooden chair directly in front of the guests, stand on it, and begin to yodel. So it is obvious to all of us in the broadcasting business, having heard that story, that we know that she had exactly what it takes to join us in this fine profession. And I congratulate her for 71 years and counting. Way to go, Mary. We'll be back after this. I'm connecting the diocese and there won't be any yodeling. Well, okay, just this little bit. This is for you, Mary. Congratulations. Well, while this show has certainly not been on for that many decades, it has been on for quite some time. And the last, oh, I would say 100 or so shows can be heard anytime you want by going to diolc.org slash connecting. You'll see them listed, the most recent one on top, and you can work your way down. And there's a title as to what they're about and the date they were broadcast. And you can go back if you want to hear a show again. You haven't got to sign up. You haven't got to give any money. You haven't got to give your email address or come up with a password. You just go and find the show you want to here and you just click on it and you can listen to it. Also, you can right click on it and you can download it as an MP3 audio file, which you can then save on your computer or put on your smartphone or whatever you happen to have if you want to hear it again. Now, because we are not a live show, we are heard in two different time zones, two different networks, three different times. We obviously can't do a live call-in. I would love to do that someday, but right now it's just not in the cards. However, if you got something you want to say, some suggestion, somebody you want to point out, something that you just want to see if we can talk more about, drop us a note at connecting at D-I-O-L-C dot org. Connecting at D-I-O-L-C dot org. It will go to the Diocese of La Crosse Communications Department. Eric Archer, our new communications director, will see it. I will get a copy of it. Eventually, the bishop will see it as well. And you never can tell. You may have a suggestion for something really neat that's going on at your parish that we want to cover, or some person that you think is really worthy of being highlighted for doing something great, or just simply something you want to know more about that perhaps the bishop can answer. It all is available for you by simply going to connecting at D-I-O-L-C dot org. Now, if you're not an internet kind of person, that's fine too. You can just drop us a note by good old mail. Just send a note to radio show at Diocese of La Crosse. It'll get to us. We'll read it the same way if it was an email. And we seriously would love to hear from you. Thanks. I've got a lot of different things planned for this show, and I'm just kind of putting them all together like a string of beads. But one of the first things I do want to mention, because it is important to some people, we are not that far from April 15th. No, I'm not talking about doing your taxes. That's, that's another thing we're all concerned about as well. But it is the time of year when the power companies can turn off your electricity if you are behind in paying your power bill. 
How can this happen? Well, it's very simple. There is a special rule in this part of the world that during the winter months, when electricity is absolutely essential to run your furnace or to run directly your heat, that they can't turn off your power, even if you are seriously in arrears, if you haven't paid your bill for quite some time, because it's unkind and dangerous. You could die. So what happens is, is some people, and this happens to all kinds of people, they get behind a month in their power bill. Let's just say it's like $200, which it could be. So they say, well, I just can't pay $200. I've got to buy a pair of tires for my car so I can get to work. So they, they, they skip that bill. The next month, there's another $200 bill. So now you've got $400 that you owe. But then, uh, you know, somebody gets sick and you got to buy some prescription medications. Okay. Next month comes by $200 and maybe you got laid off or maybe you're, you're just the bills are piling up and you don't pay it. So next thing you know, time goes by and you're approaching April 15th and you owe, you know, $1,000 on your bill. It could happen because it's easy to put it aside to pay for more important things that you have to take care of right away. Well, the next thing you know, your power is turned off and you have to negotiate with the power company and there are reconnection fees and there are all kinds of things that go on. I mention this, number one, if you are in that situation, if already you have not paid your bill for a month or two, or you know somebody like that, it's really important to start thinking about contacting Catholic Charities right here in the Diocese of La Crosse. They have a special program specifically designed not to bail you out, but to make sure that the power stays on and a payment program can be set up with the power company. And they can basically help out with some general financial counseling as well at no charge to you. It's very important that you contact them now. Contact them Monday morning. Call them up. Go online to cclse.org, whatever it takes, and explain to them that you think you're going to have a problem on April 15th when the power cutoffs kick in. You'll need to have some receipts showing what your rent or your mortgage is, what your income is, what your expenses are, so they can help figure out what's going on. And then they will contact the power company and say, we are working with this individual to try to get this taken care of. When that happens, the power company relaxes. They go, great. There's a plan and we know Catholic charities and we know that things will work out and they leave your power on. The worst thing you can do is not talk to the power company. Maybe you're embarrassed, all kinds of scared, all kinds of reasons. But the worst thing you can do is not do anything and just kind of hope it magically all goes away because it will not. So if you know somebody like this who's gotten just into a bind and it can happen to anybody, any family, any time, it can be a car repair, it can be a layoff, it can be things that we don't expect, by all means, contact Catholic Charities as quickly as possible. And again, you don't have to be Catholic. They're going to help you. They're going to help you regardless of what your belief system is or no belief system, not because you're Catholic or not Catholic, but because they're Catholic and they want to help and they've got great experience. And believe me, there is no situation you can possibly present to them that they have never seen before. Guarantee it. Now, again, they can't completely bail you out at Catholic Charities. They may be able to help with a little bit of seed money to get things going. And by the way, if you or your organization or you know of a group that wants to help people who are going to be in this situation on April 15th, you also can contact Catholic Charities and offer to make a donation to help with the power cutoffs. And you'll be doing a tremendous amount of good. So just a quick thing. The April 15th cutoffs are coming our way quicker than you think. If you've got that sinking feeling in your gut about what's going to happen, it's really a good time to contact Catholic Charities. Go to cclse.org for more information.
Okay, moving on. As we work our way through Lent and begin to think even more and more about Easter coming, I've been thinking a lot about how we fill the hours between now and Easter with things that are important and inspiring and helpful. This is a time of year when you can do a great deal of introspection about everything in the world going on. There was a thing in the recent issue of Time magazine about how the lockdown pandemic for the better part of two years changed the way that a lot of people thought about time passing because they're home a lot. Things were a lot different. The pace had changed. All kinds of things were going on. And speaking of that, I was looking around some of the previous shows. We have a vast archive of all the shows dating back 10 years. Most of them are not available for you to download because it's just too much streaming stuff. And besides that, the most recent shows are the ones folks generally want to hear again or share. But during this busy Lenten season, it's sometimes a bit tricky to catch the attention of priests and uh, our bishop uh, because they're busy. They're really busy getting things prepared for all of the events coming up. This is just this major time of year. We talk about Christmas being busy. This is as busy as Christmas for all of our clergy. Plus, there's a certain solemnity. Uh, There's just the triduum and all these things going on. And so I sometimes fish around for a previous show some Easter discussion from several years ago where they talk about things like the Triduum because basically it is the same basic information they would say again today. We also spend some time talking about the way things have to be about certain things. We just had the marriage tribunal people on talking about what has to be done if you are going to be married in a Catholic church and the various things that have to be looked into. To some long-time listeners, this may be somewhat repetitive sounding. Oh, look, he's talking about the story of Father Wally Eski again. Well, we just had an anniversary of his cause being started for sainthood. And so it's very appropriate because keep in mind that while maybe you have been listening for years, and I sure appreciate you doing that, that's really fantastic of you, there are new people coming on board all the time. Now that we are on two radio networks and also on iTunes and other podcast media, and we're toying around with the idea of coming up with a visual component, not a live thing where you can see us talking, but just something to look at while we put the audio onto YouTube as well, because some people don't know how to hear podcasts or how to do a podcast client, as they call it, but most people know how to go on YouTube. And so one of my projects for this spring is to take some pictures around the diocese and around the diocesan headquarters, just to give you something to look at while you are listening to this show, assuming we get it up and running onto YouTube, which I do believe we will be doing. So we talk about a lot of things that some people have heard before, maybe in a different way. We talk about the process of sainthood, for example. We talk about why there is an orphanage in Peru. And going back over the years and kind of arbitrarily clicking on these various files because they don't say what they're talking about. They're just like connecting the diocese number 672 or something like that. I would click on them and I would have to go through them and hear what the subject matter was. I was amazed at how much we are more like, say, a newsroom than a magazine. I did a lot of article writing for photography magazines back in the day. And the way the magazines are set up is they get going two, three months ahead of time because they need to have certain articles written on how to use this, how to get ready for your fall photography, mistakes people make with their cameras, things like that. It isn't like it's an immediacy thing like, oh my gosh, we just discovered this happened. And so we would be assigned articles and we'd have a deadline of maybe a month and a half later. 
And they would get the article and they might suggest some edits or perhaps can you add a little more about this? And then they would have to get some illustrations. So it took some time before the article actually appeared in the magazine itself. In news, both print and broadcast, there's much more of a sense of urgency going on. You know, the train derailment or icy road conditions or a politician says something important has to get out right away. Now, while this show is certainly not as cutting edge as something like 60 Minutes or one of the CNN reports, we do have our moments. We had the urgency of the refugees from Afghanistan arriving. We had the changing schedules due to COVID-19 and how they were affecting the masses, things like that. And even on this show, an urgent reminder regarding the power cutoffs coming on April 15th. Several years ago, when I was running the Catholic station in La Crosse, there was an empty building that had a gas leak which exploded during morning drive time. Well, obviously, I had to interrupt our broadcast to say, don't be driving over near this place because the fire department is there and there's this thing that blew up. And so it was interesting to go through these many, many past shows and find out how many times we had to alter our plans or change something due to some emergency. Of course, we had the the death of a pope. Uh, I remember one Christmas, we had a delightful, happy, wonderful Christmas show, and then there was a mass shooting right before it. And we had to change the beginning of the show so it didn't sound like we were totally ignoring this national tragedy. And every once in a while, I'm reminded of an episode, not a complete hour, but a part of the show that bears repeating. Last week, it was Bishop Callahan talking about how to start a prayer life. But something we haven't talked about a great deal is how do you become a bishop? What's do you, you know, do you send in a resume? Uh, Dear Holy Father, I'd like to be a bishop. Here are my qualifications. No, it doesn't work that way. How do you become an archbishop? How do you become a cardinal? Just a matter of a couple of weeks ago, March 13th to be exact, we had the 10th anniversary of Pope Francis becoming a pope. Number one, it doesn't seem like it has been that long. It's kind of amazing that so much has happened and, and we just kind of think, well, he's only been Pope for a short time. We've discussed the College of Cardinals, how the Pope is selected. Generally speaking, we don't discuss that particular process until there comes a time when there is a selection of another Pope going on. And we hope that doesn't have to happen for quite some time, that Pope Francis will live and be healthy and keep guiding us again, as he has for the past 10 years. But about 564 radio shows ago, I had the great privilege of introducing a brand new bishop to the Diocese of La Crosse. This is kind of like meeting your new boss or going out to lunch with him or something like that when you don't really know much about him. You know, it's kind of like, okay, I sure hope this is going to be good because I maybe, you know, I'm scared. (laughs) So this gentleman walks into the room, Bishop Callahan, and we sit down and we talk for a few minutes and then we turn on the recorder and I just ask him some questions about, well, how did you become a bishop? Where did you come from? What did you do? And to my delight, I found out that he had a wonderful sense of humor, uh, a bit self-deprecating. There were times when he talked about going down to Bolivia at a time when he spoke no Spanish and having to be in a mass that was a very important one going on down there. And as he said, I was the one standing there like a potted plant. Now, you got to love a guy who can be that funny about himself and not take himself that seriously, even though he is a very serious and very sincere gentleman. So anyway, what I'd like to do today, for those of you who haven't been around 564 weeks ago, I'd like to replay parts of 
the process that the bishop explained as to how he got to where he was, because it is something that is, well, I wouldn't quite say Byzantine, but it is something uniquely Catholic. Uh, probably the only thing even close that I could think of would be people who are in the career military, where the military tells them they are going here and they are going to do this. Well, basically, something like that also happens within the Catholic Church. It's a delightful story, and I think for those who haven't gotten to understand who our bishop is and where he came from, this is something I think you're going to enjoy. So here are some excerpts from the very first radio show with Bishop Callahan. I hope you enjoy it. With me is Bishop William P. Callahan, the bishop of our diocese, all 15,000 square miles. Bishop, welcome. To the Thank show. you. Thank you, Jack. Uh, hi, everybody. And uh, it's good to be with you today. And uh, uh, this is our uh, inaugural show and uh, definitely interested in uh, hearing what you have to say and listening to your points of view. We'll, we'll make that available to you as we go along from various times to be able to allow for your comment, your input. That's really what the whole uh, point of this of this radio program is all about connecting the diocese. As as you know, I'm a very big believer in the fact that we are the diocese. So it's uh, it's all out there. But but seriously, the, the diocese is 15,000 square miles. It's a huge diocese. It ranges from from river towns like La Crosse to financial centers, places like Wausau, medical centers, Eau Claire, Marshfield, but also tons and tons of farms. Marathon County, where I spent quite a bit of time. They say that there, in times there, there are more cows than people in sure. Marathon County. Clark County, also a big agricultural area. Pittsville, the, the center, the physical center of Wisconsin, right in our diocese. Colby, where the cheese originally came from. Colby. Now you're talking, Jack. I yeah, yeah I tell you, it's amazing. Stuff. I yeah. love Colby cheese. There's 19 counties in our diocese, 15,000 square miles, but there's something that draws us all together. All of the Catholics are in these dioceses, you are their shepherd. You are the person in charge of making sure that, that people's uh, needs are taken care of, both spiritually and, and physically, and we have this diocesan structure here. We're going to talk a bit about that over these next weeks, sure. because a lot of folks may not realize all the different things that go on, not just because of lacrosse or in lacrosse, but throughout the entire area, because of the efforts of people with, with everything from, uh, from perpetual adoration, donations. It's amazing what goes on around here. It's an exciting Area. It is. It really Very is. And, and we're going to try to connect all this together Very in good. the future weeks. How long have you been here now? Uh, I came uh, August the 11th, uh, 2010. Okay, so, so it's just about almost two years. Yeah. You get out quite a bit, but still there are people who haven't had a chance to sit down with you and just chat with you and find out where you came from. All these things. So we're going to try to do that on their behalf. Great. Okay. Look forward uh, to it. Number one, where were you born? I was born in Chicago, June 17th, 1950, in the city of Chicago. I was born and raised in the city, so uh, so I'm not one of those suburban kids. I'm not as far south as uh, the former bishop, Archbishop Listecki. Archbishop Listecki was almost to Indiana. He was on the southeast side, the uh, far southeast side of the city. Uh, I'm the near south side. I come from an area of the city called Bridgeport. Bridgeport. So it was uh, it was often referred to as Mayor Daly's neighborhood. Yeah. So so definitely in my area of the city, you either you know knew a politician, worked for a politician, or you know it was there was some sort of something going on in your in your family that connected you uh, some way somehow to a political situation. So how did this affect your sports preferences? <laughs> well, uh, from my bedroom window uh, at night when the when the 
scoreboard would go off at Comiskey Park, I would be able to see the scoreboard. Uh, and the first professional baseball game that I ever went to was uh, was at Comiskey. Uh, but I did not start off my uh, any kind of uh, looking at becoming a fan of baseball with the American League team. I wound up with the National League team on the other side of town, and uh, my heart still uh, goes with Cubby Blue. So, uh, and I, I'm a, I'm a disgrace to my family. My poor sister Joanne, uh, you know, every once in a while, uh, for uh, for various kinds of situations, birthdays or uh, Christmas or whatever, tries to find some piece of uh, Cub fandom that she is going to give to me, and she's always embarrassed whenever she has to go out and buy anything uh, that has Chicago Cubs on it because yeah, everybody in my family is pretty much a diehard Chicago White Sox fan. But uh, but I'm I'm kind of not really you know a, a major fan uh, of uh, of any one particular sports team, and that that would that would include uh, the Chicago Bears for that matter. Uh, even though I do follow the Bears, but now I guess I've become kind of a homie since I've been in Wisconsin for almost most of my life now. You know, it's just. Uh, but I have not necessarily become a Green Bay Packer backer. Uh, so uh, so I still have a little blue and orange here and there. But I, I do follow the Packers, except when they play the Bears. And I have a feeling that that was a situation that my predecessor did as well. So, uh, so we'll see what, uh, what, comes of, what comes of that in the future. I'm sure the locals will be working on you. On that. that's, that's <laughs> they fine. have already. Yeah. Believe me, Jack. Believe me. I- Recently, I was doing some audio work with some of our seminarians and uh, listening to them talk about uh, when they became interested in the priesthood. Now, some of them, they talk about when they're in kindergarten. They used to have a little cardboard altar they'd make up and they would play mass. And from the very beginning, there was something going on. Other ones, uh, you know, maybe went all the way through high school, some cases college. And all of a sudden, boom. They suddenly felt this call. And I'm just curious as to what's your story? When, when did, how did you become a priest? Ah, very interesting. It was a, uh, I think I, in those days, you know, as you were growing up in the 50s and the early 60s, I think a lot of uh, little boys in those days really had thought about being a priest. There were a lot of very positive priest images in my life as I grew up. My home parish, St. Mary Perpetual Help on the near south side of Chicago, had a a wonderful and a large number of, of very fine diocesan priests. And uh, so when I was a little kid, I used to celebrate Mass. I had vestments. I had a lovely martini glass that I had painted, the outside of which I painted kind of a enamel, a silver enamel, so that I could have a nice chalice. And used to use, uh, like most kids my age, I uh, used little Necco wafers, you know, the little sugar wafers to be Holy Communion and, and then take a piece of Wonder Bread and, you know, smash it down and cut a big circle out of it. And that was that was the priest's uh, host. Yeah, so it's all kinds of things. And, uh, of course, in those days, Mass was celebrated in Latin. So, um, you know, I was able to uh, to read the Latin and uh, and to uh, celebrate the Mass at home. So I had, uh, I had a loyal congregation of stuffed animals. You know, every once in a while, 
child, there would be somebody. Being the youngest in my family, I couldn't uh, I couldn't be a priest to uh, to any members of my family, at least not then. And uh, they always remind me now that I'm still the youngest. So, uh, but nevertheless, uh, it was uh, those days were just fantastic, and I remember them well. As a matter of fact, just recently I was uh, at Our Lady of Peace in in Marshfield, and uh, there was uh, in the bookcase was an old Mary Knoll Missal, Mary Knoll Daily Missal. I took that and I said, uh, I said to my master of ceremonies, I said, holy cow, I said, this is, this is my missile. When I was a little kid and used to play priest, this was the missile I used to use. So, um, it was it was amazing. You, know, you just kind of find these these old books around the diocese or in different places, and all of a sudden, you know, it just kind of takes you back. So yeah, so that's essentially where it began. My vocation was born first and foremost from from the good priests who were in my home parish and were sterling examples to me. And and then of course in the home in the family there were uh, you know there were always good ways of understanding you know how we were how we were taught to pray how we would behave at home and all those different sorts of things so one thing led to another and the vocation is born and nurtured and right after eighth grade I went into the seminary that was going to be my next question is that there's a I was talking with our director of vocations and he was saying that. Um, one reason that maybe a person might consider becoming a priest is because someone asked them. Yes. You know, and so was there someone in your life who said, why don't you become a priest? Well, in those days, I don't think, uh, I don't know necessarily that, uh, that being asked. Uh, my, my <laughs> perhaps just the opposite in my case. In eighth grade, when, uh, when I was going to, uh, I went to Quigley, to uh, to take the entrance exam and went with uh, uh, my best friend at the time, Paul Jablonski, and he and I were going to uh, we're going to go to Quigley together. We were going to be priests together. We were going to be friends for life. I don't know where Paul is today, but um, you know we were very close in those days. And so anyway, we went to take the the entrance exam, and the next thing I knew, I had heard from uh, from the rector of the seminary that uh, that I hadn't been accepted because my pastor called and said that they weren't taking me because I didn't have a vocation. So uh, so perhaps I got the negative, the opposite side of, of the coin of somebody asking me. Somebody told me, don't be a priest. As it turned out, another one of my friends in eighth grade, Frank Walski, was uh, his uncle was the vocation director for the conventual Franciscans. And the, the Conventual Franciscans had a um, boarding school, a preparatory seminary in Crystal Lake, Illinois, which is about 53 miles northwest of Chicago. And I hadn't thought about going to a boarding school, but and my family obviously you know, couldn't afford it. We were very poor. And uh, so it was not going to be an easy thing to do. But nevertheless, uh, one thing led to another. The vocation director talked to me, and um, I wound up going to uh, St. Mary's, and, uh, and I think that was God's way of telling me how to become a Franciscan. That was going to be my next question. People hear someone's a Franciscan, someone's a Jesuit, whatever. What's the difference? Well, I'll tell you. I, <laughs> I used to uh, I used to tell jokes about this, but uh, I'll, I'll try to be serious uh, because one one time uh, I said uh, I was vocation director for the Franciscans uh, from nineteen seventy nine to nineteen eighty four. And one of the things people used to ask, what's the difference? And 
uh, I always used to say, well, here's here's the deal. You could go out into into the country and you'd stand looking at the beautiful uh, pond and, you know, uh, trees and all kinds of beautiful things. And a Jesuit would would write a, uh, a stirring, thought provoking essay about it. I said a Dominican would come out and would preach a sterling homily about this wonderful situation. I said a Franciscan would come along and would simply play in it. I was told thereafter that that I was somehow insulting the Franciscans because uh, we were every bit as erudite and had uh, the the beautiful way of of speaking eloquence that uh, the, the Dominicans have. So I think the the Franciscans would think about it and write about it and speak about it and play in it. So uh, the the difference essentially is uh, the Jesuits are the uh, the great and noble followers of Saint Ignatius of Loyola, and uh, uh, have traditionally been the great defenders of the Holy Father, and uh, and the the Dominicans, of course, are the uh, the followers of uh, Saint Dominic. Uh, the Franciscans are the followers of St. Francis of Assisi. Uh, so I guess the religious orders exist primarily to be signs of the intensiveness of baptism and how that baptism is lived in religious community and by, uh, by proclaiming a life of gospel poverty, chastity, and obedience in a day-to-day living. Uh, a little bit different than than the diocesan clergy. The diocesan clergy promise celibacy to to the bishop, live their lives in simplicity of life, and uh, and are primarily parish priests. Religious priests are involved in a lot of different other kinds of things. University work, teaching in different schools, uh, retreat work, different other sorts of things, whereas a diocesan priest is typically a parochial priest. And that was probably my first thing. That was my first idea. That's what I really wanted to be, was a parish priest. And I, I still do. I mean, I, I love being a parish priest. And uh, for me, that's, that's a big deal. So even though I am a Franciscan, uh, I still have a very uh, strong sense of, of being a parish priest. Uh, these parish priests are amazing. I often uh, tell people that if I had a choice between spending half an hour with Donald Trump or any parish priest, absolutely. I'd rather spend time with the parish priest. Yes, You're going to walk away with more information that you can use. You walk away with less cash, but you know, <laughs> not necessarily. Right. You'll probably have a little bit more information. That's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're yeah. just yeah. remarkable. Now, where have you been assigned in your, in your lifetime now? Uh, I was ordained in uh, 1977, April 30th, 1977, and uh, first assignment was uh, to uh, the Basilica of St. Josephat in Milwaukee, uh, a beautiful, beautiful church in Milwaukee, and after that one year, then went back to Chicago as the vocation director, and then from there, in 1984, down to um, Peoria, Illinois. Now, uh, when I went to Peoria, there were loads and loads of people who took bets on me because I'm a big city boy. And at that time, I was an even bigger city boy than I am now. I mean, I had lived in Chicago and, you know, I love Chicago. I mean, you know, it's hard to get Chicago out of your blood. But, you know, the, the time came and the provincial said, I want you to go to Peoria. And all my friends in Chicago, both priest and lay, said, you'll never make it. 
Peoria is the land of corn and caterpillars, and uh, you're just you're just not going to make it. I said, nope, I'm going to make it. I, you know, I have a vow of obedience. I'll go with the, where the provincial sends me. Got down there, and I collected on every one of those bets. I collected on every one of those bets, and I loved Peoria, and found out more about growing corn than I ever intended to know in my entire life. But I loved the area, I loved the people. I became pastor uh, at Holy Family in Peoria, and probably some of my dearest, closest friends are people who are are still in the Peoria area. They have been wonderful, good, holy, uh, astonishingly uh, good people for me. Uh, From Peoria, then, uh, I went back up to uh, Milwaukee, uh, where I became the rector and pastor of the Basilica of St. Joseph, where I was ordained. Uh, At that point, became the epicenter of the uh, restoration and renovation of that noble structure, and uh, was there from 94 until I left in 2005. 2005, I went to Rome to the Pontifical North American College, where I served as a spiritual director for the seminarians from uh, from the United States, and uh, that was that's that's a that's a show unto itself. Uh, we get to talk about uh, seminarians and uh, and the North American College. What a wonderful situation that was. Uh, Archbishop Dolan asked if I would go there. My provincial was kind enough to to allow me to do so, but Archbishop Dolan told me, he says, Bill, that's pure priestly work. Pure priestly work. I was a little trepidatious about it. I was fearful because I had heard so many things about the, the Pontifical North American College, you know, that it was the West Point of the church and everything else. So I was nervous. But as usual, Archbishop, now Cardinal Dolan, was right and insightful in my life. And sure enough, I thought I was going to retire there and serve the church and the rest of my days as a spiritual director uh, at the North American College. Uh, sure enough, then, uh, just uh, a few short years later, the church called through the invitation of Pope Benedict XVI to serve that same Archbishop Dolan as his auxiliary in uh, in Milwaukee. Uh, I was ordained a, a bishop on December 21st, 2007, and then stayed there until uh, I came here in uh, August of 2010. With me is Bishop William P. Callahan, the Bishop of our Diocese, all 15,000 square miles. We've been talking a bit about uh, where you have been, what you have done, and I'm just curious. There was this life-changing moment. I mean, you had a life-changing moment in Rome where they said, you're going to Milwaukee and you're becoming a bishop. How did this happen? There's a long and a short version. I'll give you the short version just simply because of the fact that, you know, the we don't have a, a whole lot of time to be able to go on and on. But um, the call came uh, about 10.32. It was, a, it was morning of uh, October 15th. I was on the phone with a friend of mine from uh, from Milwaukee and a uh, priest friend and uh, so we were chatting and uh, so I figured you know I the, the phone started buzzing letting me know that there was another call and this is in Rome I was in Rome at the time he was calling me so it was the middle of the night in Milwaukee and he was on the phone with me and so we were chatting away and talking and uh, he says well do you have to take that call and I said no I said I, I said you're the only person who would be calling me now from the United States so uh, 
so I'll stay on with you, and that's probably a local call. Well, sure enough, it was a local call. <laughs> I was I was sitting there talking to him, and, and all of a sudden, somebody started knocking the door of my apartment. Uh, Father Joe, who was one of the other uh, uh, spiritual directors, opened the door, and he, he said to me, he says, uh, says, you have a call, you have a call from the Vatican, uh, Cardinal Ray and closed the door and left. And so the other priest, the priest on the phone from, uh, from the States said, uh, you have a call from the Vatican? And I said, Father, I said, you know, we are the Vatican. I said, you know, it's probably the kitchen calling. And so he said, he said, oh, okay, well, you take the call from the kitchen and I'll call you back. So sure enough, I put the phone down and I, and I had on my computer, my computer on my desk. So I Googled Cardinal Ray. And as I'm waiting for the thing to come up, I pull my rosary out of my pocket and I'm fingering the beads as I normally do. I do that a lot and I still do that. And so, so I'm fingering the beads and Cardinal Ray comes up, prefect of the congregation for bishops. So then I started praying the rosary. So sure enough, the phone rang again, and uh, the cardinal was on the phone, and uh, Father William, yes, your eminence, uh, he introduced himself, blah, blah, blah. He says, the Holy Father has decided to uh, name you Auxiliary Bishop of the Archdiocese of Milwaukee in uh, service to Monsignor, which is the, 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 the title for bishop, uh, Monsignor Dolan. Can you come to my house today at five o'clock? And I said, yes, your eminence. He said, good, click. That was the end of the phone call. So for the rest of the day, which was very full at the North American College, I had a, a day like you wouldn't believe because it was that day that Archbishop Ed O'Brien had just been announced Archbishop. So there was a big celebration going on at the college. All the, the American cardinals were coming to lunch. Bishops, archbishops, monsignori, all kinds of priests, everybody. And I was one of the directors of hospitality for the North American College. So I was helping in the whole shebang. In the meantime, I was, you know, kind of crazy about this. And so sure enough, that night, uh, I left the college, realizing I was going to go to see the Cardinal. So I left about 4.30 in the evening, walking down the beautiful the, the hill, uh, going down into uh, St. Peter's Square. Sure enough, got through, and, and I'm taking my time because I figure I have more time than money. So here I go, and uh, got, to, got to the first gate, through the Swiss Guard, then to the Vatican Police, and the Vatican Police had the little envelope saying who was going to see Cardinal Ray. So this is, you know, the Vatican is very precise about who gets in to see these uh, Curia Cardinals. So sure enough, they figure I need an escort. Well, I really don't need an escort. It's not necessary. Well, they give me this this kid who is, you know, obviously uh, might have been a cadet as far as I was concerned for the Vatican police. Well, he walked so fast. We were at Cardinal Ray's door. And, you know, and I said, I said, you know, you don't don't ring the bell. Don't ring the bell. And he's ringing the bell like there's no tomorrow. And it's one of those camera bells, you know, so so that, you know, when somebody rings the bell, the person upstairs can look and see who's there. Well, I was standing off to the side because I didn't want Cardinal Ray to think I was an idiot because I know that when the Cardinal says be there at five o'clock, five o'clock means when the bell is ringing five, no earlier, no later, five o'clock. 
So I stood away. He says, he says, well, there's no answer. I said, he's there. Don't worry. I'm early. So I sat down on the stoop and uh, started praying my rosary. And uh, sure enough, five o'clock, the bells of St. Peter's rang. And, you know, I, I rang the bell, the same bell. Nobody had come in. Nobody had gone out. The same bell that the other kid had rung, you know, about 15 minutes earlier. And sure enough, the door opens and uh, the Cardinal welcomed me enthusiastically, as Italians do, and uh, went up to his apartment. And he had this philodendron, a big pot of philodendron. And this philodendron was wrapped around the room, this very beautiful, ornate room, just wrapped around the room about 10 times. This philodendron was old. And uh, so sure enough, as the, as the cardinal met me, sat down, went through the whole thing all over again. Father William, the Holy Father, has decided to make you auxiliary bishop of the Archdiocese of Milwaukee in service to Monsignor Dolan. And then the silence. Then he leaned right next to my face and he said, And what do you say to his holiness? Well, good heavens. Yeah, what are you supposed to do? You know, you're standing there looking at this cardinal staring you right in the face. And uh, I said, I said, your eminence, I said, I'm a Catholic priest. I've already said yes. So yes is the answer. I said, whatever the Holy Father wants, he's, you know, obviously the Holy Spirit speaking through him, calling me to service to the church. This is what I'm supposed to do. Yes, I'm there. And so good. You may not tell anybody. What his next words? Except Monsignor Dolan and your spiritual director. I said, oh, I'm going to call Monsignor Dolan. Don't worry about that. So, uh, but the next day I went to, uh, to my spiritual director, who was one of, uh, one of the conventual Franciscans, as the Franciscans have the privilege of being the confessors at St. Peter's. So I went, to, I went to my spiritual director, and I was crying like there was no tomorrow. And he looked at me and he says, why are you crying? Why are you crying? And I said, oh, I just, I, this is so, this is such, you know, incredible news. I am so unworthy. And I said, you must stop crying. Stop crying right now. And I, and I looked and I thought to myself, dear God, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't get this. You know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not, you know, saying it correctly. Or maybe I'm missing something here. He says, no, 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 you must stop crying. This is what God wants of you. You must, you, in other words, he's telling me, you know, Get straight, man. You know, this is this is what you got to do. You know, man up to this. This is the task. This is what you got to do. So uh, I've never forgotten that. And, and every time I see I've seen him since, uh, I've always kind of remembered that. So so the second time when I got the call in Milwaukee to come to lacrosse, I got the call from beloved and wonderful now, uh, may he rest in peace, Archbishop Sambi who was the Apostolic Nuncio. And uh, so it was, it was Memorial Day, uh, the end of May 2010, and I was at a Memorial Day picnic like everybody else. So uh, I had my mouth full of bratwurst and getting ready to wash it down with a nice uh, cold beer. And uh, sure enough, my phone rang and I looked and, uh, and I had the nuncio on speed dial. So, so his number comes up and it says, nuncio. And I said, oh, what does he want? 
I thought, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a holiday. You know, he's in Washington, D.C. Why isn't he taking the holiday? And it was like about 4.30. It was about 5.30 in, in Washington. So sure enough, I answered the phone. Hello, Your Excellency. How are you? And, oh, fine, Your Excellency. I am so fine. This is so good. The Holy Father has decided to make you the Bishop of La Crosse. And I said, oh, and he says, he said, yes, he says, Lacrosse has given a bishop to Milwaukee. Now it seems like Milwaukee should give a bishop to Lacrosse. And I thought to myself as he was saying it, it seemed like the next thing that should come out of his mouth was, and a sack of flour and a first round draft pick. That's what I was figuring should come along next. Because it just sounded like one of those things, you know, Milwaukee, yeah, Lacrosse gave Milwaukee, I don't know. And, you know, a sack of flour and a first round draft pick. But he didn't say that. Archbishop Sambi was such a wonderful, wonderful man. So so that was it. That's how I got the call. I was sitting there munching on a brat and having a beer with, uh, with a bunch of friends in Milwaukee. And sure enough, that was the call to lacrosse. And you were on the east side of the state. Yes. Had you ever spent much time on the west side? Jack, I have never been on the west side of the state. I came through, you know, following 90 and 94, 90, you know, going up towards the cities. Mm -hmm. So I came through on 90 and then cut off on 94 to go up to the cities. I have never gone through lacrosse. So, you know, I had always heard about lacrosse, 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 very beautiful, very pretty, very this, very that. I said, yeah, one of these days I'd like to get over to the west side of the state. Well, sure enough, God said, here you go. This is what you do. So I wound up here. And the people here are just unbelievably kind and generous. Absolutely. It's a nice part of the world to be in. There is no doubt about it. You know, when you drive through the diocese, and I've driven the, the diocese, believe you me, there is not a time when I am not astonished at how beautiful our diocese is. It's just amazing. No matter what the season, you can look and you can see beautiful things. You know, the hills, the the farms, the, everything about our uh, everything about our diocese is just it's just fantastic it's so beautiful and there, it's got this tremendous diversity between urban areas and suburban areas and yes. farmland and of course all the challenges that uh, go along with it which you also have been dealing with well, there are many committees on the uh, united states catholic conference of bishops and uh, every bishop uh, serves on one of the committees, uh, you know, and then every once in a while, you know, you get tapped for for other things to kind of help out on other committees or ad hoc uh, committees and those sorts of things. And then there's on top of that being the bishop of the diocese, you've got the day to day responsibilities of new priests coming in, priests retiring, uh, buildings requiring this, that, and, and a million things go on. Yes, most definitely, and and just trying to to maintain the sense of of being there for, for the people, being present to my people throughout the diocese, this is one of the best ways. And, and I'm a big communications geek, so uh, so we will hear about this kind of a radio program or, um, you know, we'll start doing some various kinds of ways in which we'll do some communications. So I like to be with the people of the diocese. I like to hear what's going on. So that is, for me, a very important thing. I do that, of course, you know, as often as I can, but uh, also through the priests. The priests are very important in ways in which I can touch the people of my diocese. And we are blessed with some fantastic priests in this diocese. You bet. You bet. Uh, hardworking, dedicated, sincere, uh, just a, 
a bunch of great guys. I uh, I never cease to stop bragging about my priests. Some of the other bishops kind of look at me and they say, yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of the bishops tell me that I coddle my priests too much. But, um, you know, so for all the priests who are listening, you got it pretty good, boys. This is this is not too bad. You know? But uh, but the thing is, uh, I, I brag about my priests and rightfully so. They're wonderful, wonderful men, very dedicated, very uh, clearly uh, zealous for souls. And along with them, then, uh, you know, their their partners, their collaborators are the deacons. So in terms of the work of the church, you know, with with our priests and deacons, we've got a, a pretty good team. Yeah, we do. And then over the uh, next coming weeks, hopefully we'll have some of them on board here as well, because uh, some of the stories they have, places they've been, things they're doing are, are worth uh, hearing more than one time as well. They're amazing, yeah. Jack. We are connecting the diocese. My name is Jack Sosha, and here with me, Bishop William P. Callahan, the Bishop of the Diocese. We've been talking a little bit about your history, uh, becoming a priest, how you ended up uh, back in the States, and then how you ended up in La Crosse. In addition to the local, many, many local issues, and we have all kinds of charitable things going on, and a fantastic spectrum of things. You also are with your your other bishops in this country having to uh, explain and, and interpret and make statements about things that are going on that cover not just our diocese, but the entire country. Your predecessor used to talk about Catholic identity, yes. about saying, I am Catholic, I believe this, I believe that. There are moments when... You know, I'm very proud to be in this area. We had a disaster here a number of years ago. We had floods here mm. where, where homes were, were literally sliding down bluffs and being told people left with nothing. And before FEMA was here in this building, we have Catholic charities. Yes. They were out there in the rain with prayer cards in one hand and gift cards in the other. Yes. And I'm saying, by golly, that's Catholic. Before we uh, close out, uh, any final comments or things you'd like to pass on to, to your people? Thank you. Thank you so much for, for the opportunity, and, uh, and it's a joy to be with you as well. Hopefully, uh, as, we, as we go through some of these weeks, we are going to be bringing in uh, people who, uh, who are going to be uh, interesting, stimulating, and uh, conversant in their faith, but who are going to connect their faith a little bit more in terms of the day-to-day activities of human life. And so that's going to be, that's going to be uh, the coming days. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that for the coming weeks of this of this broadcast. The other thing is is uh, to keep in mind, please, 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 folks. The diocese, our diocese, is big. Nineteen counties in western and north central Wisconsin. And uh, we are uh, uh, a very proud group of people, but at the same time uh, have a great virtue of humility. We also are industrious, and uh, we know how to kick back and, and relax and, uh, and, and, have, uh, and have a good time together. We are strongly independent, and we are fiercely loyal in community. And throughout those 19 counties, all 15,000, square miles, almost 200,000 people profess a belief in the Catholic faith. This is an amazing thing. Jesus himself said, in my father's house, there are many mansions. And so the thing is, is that each of us have a unique place in heaven and each of us has a unique way of getting there. But Jesus is the one true way. And that's what we want to do. We want to focus that in, in, our, in our time together and in all the various things in, uh, that this radio uh, broadcast is going to do. Focus on the one way that is Jesus Christ, the one truth, 
the one life, that is Jesus Christ. And so the more we do that, the stronger our identity with one another will be, the more we will see the things that we have together and the things that we share, the ways in which we have common faith, and uh, the fewer things we will see that, uh, that tend to divide us. You know, folks, I, uh, I close off uh, my, my, my tagline, I'll see you at Sunday Mass, because I want you to remember to, to come to church on Sunday. It's a joy. It's a privilege. It's what we do. Uh, it's our way of celebrating our faith in Jesus Christ. So, folks, God bless you, and I'll see you at Sunday Mass. Allow me, please, to close with a prayer. Heavenly Father, eternal God, we are so grateful for the gift of our faith, the gift that you have sent us in in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you for those in particular who uh, help us to know our faith and who have who have helped us to grow in our faith. We thank you for the models of faith that you have given us, uh, patrons of our diocese, most specifically our, our patron St. Joseph, our, our patroness, the Blessed Mother Mary. Through them, we have come to know the the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And uh, we continue to offer our thanks and prayers in his name because we are members of his body. And so, my brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you, and may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Bishop William P. Callahan, the Bishop of the Diocese of La Crosse, and a recording that probably could have been made yesterday. Actually, it was made quite a few years ago, his very first appearance on this radio show. I thought you might enjoy what it's like for one person's story of what it's like to be a young person with a call to the priesthood at a very early age to go to seminary and to become a young priest and then later on to become an auxiliary bishop and a bishop and just to move to Rome and move back to Milwaukee and move to the cross and to go where God sends you. As one book titled I Still Own says, Adventures in Religious Life. And that indeed is what we have right here. We'll be back after this on Connecting the Diocese. While listening to this edited-down version of Bishop's first radio show here, talking about his adventure in religious life, I thought I really have to give a copy of this to the vocations department to play for the folks in the Journey program and the seminarians, not only so they could hear what the bishop's life was like in the early days and how he progressed, but also the idea that maybe their life can be something similar. And maybe you are listening to this today and you're saying, wow, that's really exciting what he did. What a wonderful life that is. You know, that, that's the kind of thing I really want to do. Some people feel that tug early in life as the bishop did. Other people feel that tug later in life, regardless of when you're feeling it. If you have a question about vocations and particularly vocation to the priesthood, you can contact the Diocese of La Crosse. We have a vocations department and they will be happy to talk to you and basically answer your questions. Whether you're in high school or whether you're out of school in college or just working in the world, they will talk to you about what is available out there and maybe help you better discern. That's the magic word. I like discern whether a vocation to the priesthood or other areas of religious life are appropriate for your needs. And of course, there's much more information on the diocesan website, diolc.org, regarding vocations. You can also find out more about the Journey program, which is kind of an immersion program that helps you understand what the priesthood is all about before you take the plunge and get accepted into the seminary. 
It's difficult in a radio show or a pamphlet or even a book to fully express the full experience of the vocation of priesthood. And so it, it would all start by just simply asking some questions. And that starts by contacting the Diocese of La Crosse, Office of Vocations, and making an appointment to talk to them. There's no obligation. They're more than happy to chat with you. And you may walk away saying, this is really great. Or you may walk away saying, but maybe not. But maybe this thing over here is what I'm really looking for. It all starts with a phone call. Just call them at the Diocese of La Crosse, Office of Vocations. I was looking at Monsignor's Musings. Monsignor Richard Gillis, the rector of the cathedral, has an article in the latest bulletin called, When It's Good to Lie to Your Children. This is first of a two-part column. Don't believe in God? Lie to your children. This was the title of a December 6th article which appeared in the Wall Street Journal by Erica Commissar, who is a Jewish psychologist and a therapist. She's the author of the book, Being There, Why Prioritizing Motherhood in the First Three Years Matters. The title is already saying something important. At any rate, the title of the Wall Street Journal article was quite provocative. It was a good article with a positive shout-out supporting organized religion within the family. She says that, as a therapist, she's asked to explain why depression and anxiety are so common among children and adolescents. She said that one of the most important and neglected reasons is the declining interest in religion. This cultural shift has proven disastrous for millions of young people. Over the past 20 years, there has been a 20% decrease in attendance at formal religious services. Nearly one-half of adults under the age of 30 do not identify with any organized religion. The idea of nihilism, or nothingness, regarding God and religion is a fertilizer for anxiety and depression, Commissar says. Parents often ask her, how do I talk to my child about death if I do not believe in God or heaven? As Commissar says, the answer is always the same, lie. The idea that we simply die and turn into dust may work for some adults, and even then I'd question that, but it certainly doesn't help children. Belief in heaven and in a providential God, helps them to grapple with the incredible, helps them to grapple with the tremendous and incomprehensible loss called death. In an age of broken families, distracted parents, school violence, and dire climate predictions, religion, Commissar says, plays a big role in children's ability to cope with these realities. They have a real sense that there is a plan, there is something more, that ultimately life does make sense. It communicates that I am cared for and all will be well. The article also said that a 2018 study indicated that being raised in a family with spiritual and religious beliefs positively affects the mental health of children. Children and teens attending weekly religious services scored higher on psychological and well-being measurements and have a lower risk of mental illness. Weekly attendance is associated with higher rates of volunteerism, a sense of mission, forgiveness, lower probabilities of drug use, and early sexual initiation. She goes on to say that parents frequently ask, how can I instill gratitude and empathy in my children? These virtues are embraced by most religions. She said that in her Jewish faith, they have a concept of healing the world. And therefore, she said, we expect our children to volunteer in the community, the synagogue, and the family. Of course, all of this is true for Christianity as well. Gratitude is an antidote to entitlement. Empathy or love helps us to see Christ in others, to reach out to those who need nurturing or our care. These are strong building blocks for forming great character. They are protectors against depression and anxiety. Commissar states that in an individualistic, narcissistic, and lonely society, religion provides children with the rare opportunity for natural community. The idea that hundreds, if not thousands of people, can gather and pray together and to sing God's praises is a great collective buffer against a fractured, empty, and divided bullying culture, which emphasizes 
perfectionism, selfishness, and materialism. Monsignor Gillis continues, interestingly enough, many confirmation students during their interview with me say that that is the one thing they like most about the Catholic Church. It is the sense of community. Why then, they for the most part do not continue to practice their faith actively after they are confirmed is beyond me. It is an odd dichotomy. Kamasar says that religion practice within the family is necessary and needed in a world where teens have hundreds of virtual friends, but very few real ones where they can actually sit down and talk face to face. It seems to me the art of communication is being greatly weakened. An interesting observation from Monsignor Richard Gillis, rector of the cathedral at the Diocese of La Crosse with his Monsignor Musings. Jack Sosha closing off the show for this week. Don't forget you can listen to any of the last 100 shows at no charge, no password, no email needed. Just go to diolc.org slash connecting and you can listen online or download an MP3 audio file. So I hope you will enjoy the spring that has finally upon us and I will catch you next week. Same time, probably the same station, same internet, that's for sure, right here on Connecting the Diocese. Have a good week. 